So excited to be back with you all again. I didn't get to preach last week. My older brother, Pastor Daniel from Scent Church, delivered the message, so I missed you guys this past week. For those of you, though, that I haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek, and I'm the pastor here of Chi Alpha. I'd love the opportunity to meet you after service. We haven't met yet. If this is your first time, thank you for checking out Chi Alpha. We're so honored that you decided to join us tonight and come to bring a friend night. We have friends. Amen. Friends are fun. If this is your first time, we'd love to give you a free t-shirt after service, so if you go out there in the lobby, we'll have those available for you. I have a question for you. You don't have to actually answer. I realize sometimes when I do this, people give audible answers, and this is more like a contemplative question. But anyways, who are the heroes of our society? Who are the icons? Who do people look up to? I think a great way to answer this question is who has the most Instagram followers? As of October 25th, Cristiano Ronaldo, the famous soccer player, has the most Instagram followers with 359 million. Kylie Jenner is next with 277 million, followed by Lionel Messi, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Ariana Grande, Selena Gomez, Kim Kardashian, Beyonce, Justin Bieber, and then finally Kendall Jenner rounds out our top 10. So according to Instagram, these are the heroes of our society. This is who we want to be like. This is who we literally follow. These are the icons. When I think of these people, I think of branding, creating an identity, promoting and marketing yourself. These people are incredibly gifted at getting people to think about them, to copy them, to want to be them. For a few of them, they don't really have a talent per se. Like, they're not actors or athletes. They're just really good at getting the world to revolve around them. They're really good at getting you and I to care about what they do and what they think. See, the game in our world is self-promotion and elevating ourselves, and these people, they're winning. I want to tell you a story. There's a far-off country, and this country has a king. This king has more money than you could ever need. He has more money than the rest of the world combined. This king's army is the largest army that's been, ever been created. This king has more power, more resources than the rest of the world combined. This king can do whatever he pleases. This king decides that he wants to move to a new land. He wants to move to a new country. This king is so powerful that he could come into this country, and in an instant he could decide, I'm going to be your king. I'm going to take your castle. I've got more money and resources than you, so I'm going to storm this country. He could take the palace and become the most powerful individual in that new country. Oh, my voice just jumped. That was kind of fun. I wish I could do that, like, programmed when I say something cool. I'd do that. It'd be fun. But this king could have the finest lifestyle. He could have the castle. He could run this country in one moment because he's so powerful. However, that's not the way of this king. This king comes to this new country not with pomp and circumstance, but rather he comes humbly. Most people don't even know that he's there. Instead of coming and living in the palace, he comes and lives in a horse's stable. He leaves his castle from his old country to live in a smelly barn. Instead of coming with all of his wealth and resources where he would never have to work a day in his life, he actually leaves that behind in his old country. He doesn't come with his money, but instead he comes to this land and lives as a poor carpenter. This king goes from being the highest member of society, from having more money and power than everyone else, to being the lowest. He comes in meekness. He comes in humility. He comes in poverty. This story is no fairy tale, but rather this story is reality. This is the story of the birth of Jesus. This is the story of our God coming to earth as a poor, humble baby, born in a manger to a teenager. This is our good king. He did not come and be born as a prince or as a future earthly king. No, God came from a family of wealth 
through the family of humility. God showed his meekness through sending his son, the person he beloves more than anything else, to be born in a lowly estate. This idea doesn't make sense in our society. Lowering yourself has no place in 2021 America. We are told to do whatever it takes to advance ourselves, to increase our influence, to increase our followers, right? We live in a world where the heroes are all self-promoters, not the modest meek. We live in a world centered around us where our chief aim is to get our name in lights. We live in a society where pride is a virtue and something to be celebrated, while on the other hand, meekness is just a sign of our weakness. It is sinful in our society to not look out for ourselves, to not look out for number one, right? I got to take care of me. It is sinful to not do what's best for us, to not advance our own agenda. It is wrong, according to our society, to choose to be humble and lowly. Specifically you, as college students, you live in a time where the world is kind of centered around you finding out what you want to do, right? That's what you're supposed to do when you're in college. You're supposed to find out your calling. You have to pick your major. You hopefully find your future spouse. The main goal of your time in college, according to society, is not bettering the world around you, but rather finding out who you are. We are told that it's okay to be selfish in college, right? We'll have time for a family and self-sacrifice later. College is our time to promote ourselves, to have fun, to get the college experience, to get ahead, to be the little king or queen of our tiny little kingdom known as our life. See, we live in a world, in a kingdom, where our ambition is to be on top, while our heavenly king chose a different path. He chose to turn this kingdom upside down, where the first will be last and the last will be first. He chose to take this kingdom and put the bottom on top, and he did this through his first act as a human through being born as a powerless baby in a smelly manger in the middle of nowhere. Christmas has come early at Chi Alpha. Tonight we're starting our final series of 2021 called Tis the Season. You'll notice those are Thanksgiving pictures right now because it's Thanksgiving time and my older brother made fun of me for doing a Christmas series in November, so I had to make it as a Thanksgiving season. I know it's weird. I know it's November, okay? I don't like to celebrate Christmas until after Thanksgiving as well, but it worked. In July, when I decided this, I felt really cool about it. We're going to do the Christmas story in November. So even though it's kind of, at least it got cold. Oh, the Lord is good. He made it cold today, so I don't feel as bad. Amen. That's good. Boo. Boo you. Anyways, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, not boo you. We're going to be looking at the story of the birth of Jesus and how the different players in this story give us specific characteristics that we should try to emulate in our current cultural moment. Tonight we explore the characteristic that Jesus showcased through his humble birth. That's meekness. Tonight's message is entitled, A Season of Meekness. Season of Meekness. The word meek is translated quiet, gentle, submissive. In essence, being humble. In Matthew 5, Jesus is giving his most famous sermon, and in it he says, Blessed are the meek, the lowly, the humble. Jesus was the ultimate example of meekness or lowliness. In his epistle, or his letter to the church in Philippi, the Apostle Paul writes on this idea. This is the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament. He looks at the birth and incarnation of Jesus. Incarnation is just Jesus coming as a human. He was fully God, but also a fully living, breathing human. So incarnation is being him being incarnated, coming as a human. So he looks at the incarnation and the fact that Jesus has come as a human, and he says that shows Jesus' humility. This text is found in Philippians 2, 3 through 11. And it really shows us what it looks like to be meek. This is what it says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your birth. Thank you for coming as a human. God, thank you for making a path for us to be connected with you forever. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Paul starts off this passage that we just read saying to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but to count others more significant than ourselves. This idea is so needed in our generation. I feel like I do a lot of things from selfish ambition, if I'm being honest. A lot of times what we're doing specifically is not what's actually wrong. So our specific job or maybe our calling probably isn't sinful. Like it's not sinful to get good grades. It's not sinful to do well. It's not sinful to make money. It's not sinful to have a high status job and to pursue those things and try to work a good resume. None of those things are inherently wrong. But the important question we must ask ourselves is why do I do the things I do? It's all about motivation. Motivation is why we do the things we do and who we do it for. Motivation is why we do the things we do and who we do it for. We just talked about this idea in D groups if you're in that. And we asked you to look at your dreams, look at your goals, and ask yourselves this question. Why are these my dreams? Are my dreams me-centered or are they God-centered? Am I doing this for the kingdom of God or out of selfish ambition? Are my dreams to make God look good or to make me look good? I challenge you to take the things you're doing, the dreams you have, and ask yourself this question, what is my motivation? If your motivation is God, that's awesome. If our motivation is selfish ambition, it might be time to reevaluate. We're always trying to advance ourselves, up our resume. We're looking out for ourselves. And what Paul is saying in this text right here is that we are to look to other people's interests first. This idea is so countercultural. It's upside down. It's really the first step to meekness, though. Let's take a look back at our text, specifically verses 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was in the form of God. All that's saying is Jesus was God. We learned throughout Scripture, specifically in John chapter 1, that Jesus was with God from the beginning. So Jesus, who had always been with God, who was always God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's kind of confusing. See, if any human being could count equality with God as something to be grasped, it would be Jesus. But even he didn't. See, this, I think, has been humanity's greatest sin from the very beginning. We thought we could be God. If we go back and look at Adam and Eve for the first humans, their great sin was they thought they could be God. Satan told them in the Garden of Eden that if they eat this apple, they will have the knowledge of God. They will be on the same level of God. And that temptation led to sin entering our world. If we want to be meek like Jesus, we must recognize that we simply cannot be God. God is smarter than us. We are not good enough, powerful enough, nor wise enough to be God. The beauty is that God knew this when he created us. He knew that we could not handle being the center of our own universe. Jesus knew trying to be God or trying to be in charge of everything was quite exhausting because we're not equipped to do it. And this leads Jesus to say in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. A yoke 
It's just an old farming tool that would kind of put two oxen together so they could carry more weight. So basically what a yoke did is it burdened them. It burdened the oxen. So a yoke is like our burden, something that weighs us down. So Jesus is saying to take his yoke, which is the yoke of being gentle and lowly. Another way of saying this is his yoke is meekness. Jesus is calling us to take up this posture of meekness in order to release us from our burdens. What's the burden that Jesus is trying to release us from? What's the yoke he's trying to get us to not have to worry about? It is pride. Pride is the greatest burden in all of humanity. See, I'm convinced that most hardships, most pain and striving comes from pride. How much sadness do we feel when someone thinks poorly about us? How sad are we when we realize that we aren't good at something? When someone's better than us, when someone attacks us, when we lose, when we fail, when we do not measure up, at least for me, this tears me up inside when I don't quite measure up to what I want to be. Do we work hard just to do a good job and to do what's right? Or do we work hard and strive to try to be better than everyone else? I know for me, I worked very hard in high school to get good grades. But if I'm honest, it wasn't like I want to be an excellent student who passes my classes because I love and honor the Lord. That was not it at all. I wanted to be number one. It wasn't about getting good grades, it's about getting better grades than everyone else. It was bad. It was an inward desire to show how smart I was. So I didn't care about getting 100% as long as I was the top one, then I'm good. And that's sinful. That's bad. We don't want to be like that. It's such a burden to protect ourselves, to measure up, to seem like we have it all together, right? That's crippling to try to act like we have it all together all the time. We want to uphold our reputation. And when anyone comes against us, it's a heavy, heavy yoke. We constantly want to be better, perform better, get good grades, have more money, be the better Christian, be more attractive, have the more attractive boyfriend or girlfriend. We want to avoid criticism. We want to appear perfect. And all these things create a heavy burden that's impossible to uphold. This lifestyle of constant performance is exhausting. See, a lack of meekness or pride is a burden, which is why Jesus tells us to be meek. Author A.W. Tozer writes in his book, The Pursuit of God, Jesus calls us to his rest. And meekness is his method. The meek man cares not at all who is greater than he, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. I love that. The esteem of the world, looking good to everyone else, is not worth the effort. So meekness does not mean you think poorly of yourself. It doesn't mean that you're like a scared little mouse or you think you're worthless. No, according to A.W. Tozer, meekness is when we know that we are weak and helpless, as God has declared us to be, But paradoxically, we know at the same time that we are in the sight of God, more important than angels. In ourselves, we're nothing, but in God, everything. We know that the world will never see us as God sees us, and we've stopped caring. We rest perfectly content to allow God to place our own value. I think many of us here struggle to put our value in what God thinks of us. We put our value in how many Instagram followers we have. When people swipe right on me on Tinder, does that guy or girl in my class think I'm cute? Did I do well in my grades? Did I get the starting spot in football? my good enough in my band, my values in these external things, when what God is saying is, let me place your value because I'm going to think higher of you than anyone else does because God loves us. That's true rest. When we die to the idol of self, for most of us, at the center of our universe, what we revolve around is ourselves. Our lives often revolve around advancing ourselves and appearing to the outside world that we are good and we have it all together. But Jesus offers us his yoke, which is to take away the burden of self and replace it with himself. Instead of me being at the center of my universe, what God is offering us is for him to be at the center of our universe. And this is freeing. Now I don't live to glorify me, I live to glorify God. That way when people criticize me, when I fail, when I don't measure up, it's okay. 
Because my core, my rock, my center is Jesus. My glory does not matter. All that matters is the glory of God. Why does God want to be the center of our universe? Is it because God's an egomaniac who needs all of our attention? Not quite. No, God's smarter than us. God recognizes that when we try to be the center of our own universe, when we try to make everything revolve around us, we are going against the natural design of the universe. We were not designed to be God. We were not designed to be the center, and it's quite exhausting when we try to be God. When we try to do something that we can't, it leads nowhere good. For example, I wish deep in my bones that I could dunk a basketball. I want that so bad. I prayed and fasted about it when I was a child. Like, please let me grow up to be like 6'10". However, it's just not going to happen. I can't force myself to grow. I've tried to like stretch. That's why I wear a longer shirt so then I can try to stretch. And it doesn't work. I haven't grown at all from doing that. I also have a very small vertical. It's like this big. That's all I can jump. And it's really embarrassing. I truly don't think this. This isn't like just me like joking or being mean to myself. I don't think I could do enough work in the world to make my vertical high enough for me to dunk. I don't think I have enough time left in life. I'd have to live to be like 400 or something. It's just not possible. As hard as I try, I was not born to dunk. And if I spent every day and all night trying to dunk, wasting my life away at this impossible goal that actually has pretty much no real world value, I would hope that you'd all love me enough to say, you know what, Derek? You just weren't designed to dunk. That's okay, buddy. Let's go back to writing sermons. You're better at that than dunking. Just like you and I were not born or designed to be God. No matter work we do will make us a good God. We are crummy gods. You were born to let you be you and to let God be God. The key to meekness is recognizing that there is a God and we're not him. Mm, That's so convicting for me. I try to be God a lot and I fail. And then I realize there's a God and I'm not him. What does this practically look like? You're like, yay, there's a God and I'm not him. That's awesome. What does that mean? How does it impact our daily lives? Well, if we are not God, we should probably listen to the one who is. We see this idea in verse 8 of our text. In being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Obedient to the point of death. Jesus' humility led to his obedience. If we are truly meek, we will be obedient because we will trust that God is smarter than us. Because humility is just a sober sense of reality. Humility is just a sober sense of reality, which means... Humility is not thinking that you're terrible. Humility is also not thinking that you're awesome. True humility is just having the correct sense of who you are. Humility is just recognizing reality. So if you are a great singer, first off, please try out for our worship team. We would love for you to join. That would be awesome. If you're a great singer, it's not humble for you to say, you know what, I really stink at singing. I'm really bad. He, 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 I'm really good, actually. That's not humble. You're a good singer. Just let it, let it belt, baby. Okay? It's not humble to say you stink at something that you're good at. It's called lying. We don't want to do that. Humility is just being honest about things. Having a sober sense of reality, like how I know I just can't dunk. That's a sober sense of reality. So another sober sense of reality, or something that's just true, is that God is smarter than us. Recognizing that God is smarter than you is holding yourself in a correct position. God's here. I'm down here. Humility is recognizing that we don't know it all, and God just might know better than us. So if God is all-knowing, meaning he knows everything, and he's all good, meaning he loves us and he cares about us deeply, 
that means that being obedient to God is actually the logical conclusion. Because he's all knowing, so he knows everything. He knows more than I do. And he's all loving, so it means he cares more about me than I care about myself. So if he's all knowing and all loving, that means he knows what's best. Because he's smarter than us and he loves us more than we love ourselves. So when we are disobedient, when we do not listen to God, we are either saying that we are smarter than God or we are saying that God doesn't love us. We are effectively saying that God does not know what is best. I think most of us would probably say if you follow Jesus, you'd say God is smarter than me. God knows best. But our disobedience shows that we don't fully trust deep inside of us that God has our best interest at heart. A lot of times I think, at least for me, I doubt that God like, cares about my fulfillment. Like God doesn't know what will make me happy. I know what will make me happy. See, the world tells us that partying, fulfilling our sexual desires, entertainment, that those are the things that will make us happy. And this is simply not the case. Study after study shows that increased alcohol consumption leads to an increased risk of depression. According to Nicholas Wolfinger, who's a sociologist at the University of Utah, Americans who have only ever slept with their spouses are much more, are the most likely to report being in a very happy marriage. His study goes on to show that increased sexual partners before marriage is correlated to people being in a less happy marriage. In an earlier analysis, Wolfinger found that women with zero or one previous sex partners before marriage were also least likely to get divorced, while those with 10 or more were the most likely. That's not saying that if you've messed up and done things sexually that you wish you wouldn't, that there's no hope for your marriage. It's not what that's saying. There's grace, right? God covers our mistakes. God covers our sins. However, what this is saying is statistically, the more we honor God's design for marriage, which is to wait to have sexual activity until we're married, the better off we'll be. We think that if I don't spend three hours a day on TikTok, if I don't get to binge my Netflix show, if I don't get to play at least an hour of video games, we tell ourselves we will not be happy when in actuality, all these entertainment things do is not lead to fulfillment, but they're just kind of like bandages that make us feel numb, right? When we binge watch things, it never, we never feel good afterwards. Taylor and I, that's my wife, we binge watched The Good Place when it first came out. And I remember afterwards, like we'd eaten junk food for like three days and like I got up and I think I had like cheese crumbs on me and I just looked like a distorted beast right? It wasn't good. And I didn't feel good afterwards. I didn't leave that moment feeling, yes, I'm joyful in the Lord. I was like, I'm going to die. But I did watch, we watched a lot of The Good Place. That was bad. Our world tells us that doing whatever we feel like is what's going to lead us to being fulfilled and happy. But this is clearly not the case. God does not give us laws or things to obey because he wants to boss us around. That's illogical. Why would God like want to boss us around? He doesn't get his giggles from making us do things that are bad for us. That doesn't make sense. No, God knows what's best for us and he cares about us. God's laws, or what he tells us to do, they're not motivations for obedience. Meaning the reason we obey God is not just to obey him, but they are descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. God's laws are not motivations for obedience, but descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. What that means is that we don't obey God so that we won't get punished, right? I think a lot of us say, I'm just going to do what God says so I don't get punished. He doesn't smite me. No, God's not on a hill ready to smite you. We obey God because we are meek and we are humble and we recognize that God is smarter than us. And he understands reality better. We recognize that God has a better perspective than us because he's God. We recognize that he knows best. Meekness leads to obedience because meekness is us recognizing our limitations as a human and us recognizing that God's not dumb. I've used this example before, but imagine if a professor gives you the answer key to your test. And then you decided, you know what? 
I'm smarter than this professor. I know more about their tests that they created. So I'm going to put my own answers. I'm not going to use that answer key. I'm going to put what I think is best because I'm smarter than them. That would be incredibly prideful, right? The professor knows more about their class and their test than you do. The only logical thing to do is if a professor gives you the answer key is to use it because clearly they know how to pass, right? Using that answer key, using the tools the professor gives you is not forsaking your own independence. Like, I'm an independent human being. I do not need to use your answer key that you gave me because I'm independent. I can make my own decisions. No, that's just illogical and not intelligent. Pass the class and go on to the next one. Amen? Amen. The same thing goes with obeying God. Listening to God is just being wise. The first step to obedience is understanding what God is asking you to do. You cannot be obedient to God's instructions without hearing his instructions. This means we have to read our Bibles, right? That's God's answer key. And when we read the Bible, that should teach us how to live. We don't read the Bible just to do religious activity. I'm not interested in just doing religious activity to check off boxes, right? That doesn't help anything. No, we don't just read the Bible to, for God to like us more. That's not how this works. No, we read the Bible to find things to apply to our lives and to be more like Jesus because Jesus has a better perspective on it than us on how to live a healthy life. So after we read the scriptures, we need to apply the truth. For example, the Lord tells us to be meek. So after reading that, the only logical thing is to trust him and to attempt to be meek. So read the commands of Jesus in the Bible and start trying to obey them. You may not be perfect. Temptation will overcome and we will do things that are not in God's design. We will fall short. We will make mistakes. This happens to me every single day. Specifically when I play basketball, I get really prideful or arrogant or angry. And I'm not very good at basketball, so it's really a bad combination because it just keeps getting worse. Right? We sin every day. But what we have to do when we screw up is just repent or admit that we did something wrong. See, God's not after our perfection. He doesn't need you just to fill this little box. He doesn't want your perfection. He wants you to trust him enough to listen to what he says and try your best to obey. It's not about just doing all the right things or filling all the right rules. No, it's about saying, God, you're probably smarter than me, so I'm going to try and do what you say, and I'll fall short. But when I do, will you please forgive me? And when we do that, God will be right there to help pick us up and say, all right, it's okay. Let's try again. Listening to God is really just an act of submission. Going back to our definition of meekness, in essence, meekness is submission. Submitting your own will, your own desires to the will of God. When Jesus was obedient in death, he was submitting to his design, to his calling. God, or Jesus was called to die on a cross to pay for our sins. Jesus was so obedient that he was submissive to God all the way to death. And verse 8 tells us, even death on a cross. Death on a cross was one of the most humiliating ways to die. Jesus, the God of the universe, was hung naked on a tree for people to walk around him, to mock him, and berate him. They would say things like to Jesus, like, if you're truly God, just come down. You're God. You should be able to do this. Or bring an army of angels down and smite us all. They mocked Jesus for the very truth that he was. He was God, and they mocked him for that. When this happened, did he justify himself? Did he defend himself and say, this is why I'm doing this, bozo. I'm dying for you, okay? I'm trying to make a way for you to spend eternity with Jesus. Did he fight with them? Did he fight back? Did he defend himself and justify what he was doing? No. He just submitted and sat in silence. He submitted to humiliation. Sometimes when we submit to the way of Jesus, when we live life as a Jesus follower, we will be humiliated. We'll be different. We'll be challenged and corrected. Living life like Jesus is so different from the rest of the world. It's upside down. We put other people first. 
We don't seek to advance ourselves. Our lifestyles will be different. People might ask you, why don't you go out and drink with us? Why aren't you on Tinder? Why don't you swear? Are you approved? Do you think you're better than me? People will mock us. And they'll try to drag us into do things that probably aren't wise for us because misery loves company. However, when this happens, when people argue with you about you following Jesus, there's no need to justify yourself. Jesus does this for us. We don't actually need to fight people about our beliefs. We don't need to fight with people who challenge us, but we just need to stand in arm with Jesus and submit to humiliation. When people mock God on Facebook, he does not need you to defend him in the comment section. God can defend himself. We don't need to argue with people on campus about what we believe, right? About our political opinions, or about Jesus being real. I know sometimes professors will come in and say, this is why God's not real, and they'll try to argue, and it's easy to want to stand up and like puff your chest out and argue them when no one has ever changed because of an argument, right? Only love changes people. So instead of standing up for what you believe in, why don't we try bowing down in submission to God? This will lead us to love the people around us, even as they mock us. Even as people judge you for being different, just love them. Jesus loved people as they literally spat in his face. We're called to do the same. We are called to be meek, just like Jesus. This meekness will lead to a much better representation and invitation to the kingdom of God than an argument ever would be. People will be more moved by your lifestyle and your love for them than your lofty words of debate and arguing. Here's the beauty of this story, though. This is what we read in verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' humility and his humiliation lead to his exaltation. Because Jesus was meek, God could lift him above every other name. Because Jesus was willing to be lowly, God could put him on top. I want you to imagine that a father has two sons. One son is quite arrogant, and he likes to tell the world every time he does something significant. He posts on Instagram, he's like, what's up, I got a 4.0. He's all excited. He calls grandma to tell every time he does something good. When he makes the top band, he posts about it on Instagram. He tells everyone everything. The father would probably feel no need to post about this son, right? Like, grandma doesn't need two calls telling her that her grandson got a 4.0. One calls plenty. The first son calling is probably good. The son's exalted himself. He's lifted himself up, so there's no need for the dad to exalt him as well. However, with the other son, this other son has the same exact accomplishments. But he doesn't feel the need to tell anyone. He doesn't post on Instagram. He doesn't call grandma to let him know how great he is. The dad would probably be way more likely to call grandma and tell her because otherwise she wouldn't know, right? You want to brag up your son who's being humble and lowly. The son has humbled himself, which gives an opportunity for the father to exalt him. We don't need double exalting. We don't need double bragging. We don't need to be lifted up to the highest of the mountain. We're prideful enough. By us being prideful and lifting ourselves up and promoting ourselves, we are robbing God the opportunity to exalt us because that's just going to inflate our egos. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So if we want to step into what God has called of us, if we want to be used by God, we have to be humble. Our pride and self-promotion can rob God the opportunity to use us because he doesn't want to exalt the proud. Our pride can get in the way of our calling. However, I say this, just being humble does not automatically mean you're going to get exalted and become awesome. 
It's not like a money-back guarantee. It's more like a prerequisite. If we want any chance of being used by God and reaching our God-given potential, we have to pursue meekness. Now, if we're just humble so that we can be used by God, that's not true humility. If we're humble, so <laughs> I'll be humble for this week so God will exalt me next week. Come on, somebody. Are you excited about that? That's clearly not humility. That kind of like makes it all null and void. And God knows the intentions of our heart, unfortunately, sometimes. So we must seek Jesus in meekness, not being exalted. God is the goal and the prize. So how? How do we humble ourselves? We do things that a humble person does. We serve. We put other people above ourselves. We do things for people that we don't like. We do the grunt work. We take the lowly positions in life. When we do something well, we don't need to tell everyone that we did it. I think often what happens, this isn't like an obvious thing. It's more subtle. Like, let's say you do a group project and you guys do really well. Like, you're like loudly like, oh, we all did it. Then you're like whispering to your buddy, I did all the work. Okay, I worked really hard on this one. It's more of a subtle brag. I know I do that. I struggle with this. But we don't need credit for everything, right? We don't need to exalt ourselves on social media. We don't need to promote ourselves. Followers are not worth the cost of our souls. We must humble ourselves and leave the exalting to God. Believe me, I understand that this is very, very hard. I struggle a lot with meekness. I am not naturally meek at all. I am not gentle. Not at all. I'm not quiet. I'm not submissive. Just ask my wife, Taylor. Naturally, I feel a desire to exalt myself. When I do something well, I so badly, deeply want to tell people about it. I want to leave a legacy. I want to be great so badly. It burns deep inside of me. However, I also recognize that greatness in the eyes of God is not accomplishing a lot. It's not winning a bunch of people to Jesus. It's not becoming really good at your job. Greatness in the eyes of God is not just being the best. No, greatness in the eyes of God is being gentle and lowly. Greatness in the eyes of God is being meek. All this sounds different. This idea of humility and meekness is so countercultural. It's so upside down. In our world, we are constantly enamored with ourselves. However, C.S. Lewis says that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, so it's not thinking you stink, but it's thinking of yourself less. We are to think about ourselves less. How strange. This goes against our idea of greatness, of being an icon. Well, in Jesus' idea, or Jesus' time, excuse me, this would have also been countercultural. While we have Dwayne the Rock Johnson, they had Alexander the Great. He's the greatest, maybe the greatest hero to live. He destroyed everyone in his way. Before he was like 30 years old, he almost conquered half the world. And he exalted himself. The same can be said of the Roman Empire that Jesus lived in, or Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor in that time. Jesus' day was just like ours. It was the day of heroes. It was the day of icons that promote self. So how did Jesus, the God of the universe, respond to the age of icons? Well, he's at the end of his life, and Jesus gathers his followers, and we read about what he does in John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, knowing that he was God, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments 
And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 12 says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus, the God of the universe, washes his followers' smelly feet. The disciples all walked around in sandals. And in that time, they would just put poop on the street. Because they didn't have anywhere else to put it. Those feet were rank. And Jesus got down and he washed them. And this wasn't even his greatest act of humility. Just a short while after this, Jesus would be mocked, be beaten, abused, and then put on a cross to die. I think the enemy is trying to get me to shut up. But I'm going to keep going. He was so humble that Jesus didn't hold our sins against us. But rather, Jesus said, I love you too much to let you be separated from me. I'm going to die the death that you deserve so we can be together forever. This is why I follow Jesus. I don't follow Jesus because it makes the most sense, even though I think it does. I don't follow Jesus just because he's smarter than me. I follow Jesus because of who he is. While all other icons and heroes look to promote themselves and get ahead, he purposely lowers himself just to love you and me. He's so meek and full of love that he's more worried about our eternity than his own life. This is what our culture is missing. We are surrounded by a culture that's all about looking out for ourselves and becoming an influencer. Our culture glorifies the proud and has created a deep desire, at least in me, to promote myself. Our culture has killed the virtue that is meekness. However, Jesus is here tonight telling us that this is not the way it's supposed to be. He came to usher in a new kingdom, one that's upside down. Our main idea tonight is the birth of Jesus ushers in the upside down kingdom. The birth of Jesus ushers in the upside-down kingdom. This is the kind of king that I want to give it all for. This is the kind of king that even though it doesn't all make sense, even though I don't understand everything, I'm going to give my life for him. Because he seems like the true icon. This king that will wash feet and die on a cross while the world around us is seeking to gain followers. This king is one I'm willing to humbly obey, be obedient to, and bow in submission. Imagine what would happen if we chose to care more about other people than ourselves. We'd have such an impact on this world. If we were all focused on each other, the world would be so much more full of love and we would actually achieve greatness. We would leave the world a better place than we found it. If we want to get there, though, we must recognize that we cannot be God. There's a God and we're not him. We have to recognize that we should listen to the one who is God because he's smarter than us. 
but also because he lived a life worth emulating. We live in a world full of icons, full of heroes and influencers that look nothing like King Jesus. However, we serve a God that was willing to wash feet and die for us, all to turn his world upside down and to show us that there's a better way. Would you all stand with me? I think some of you are here tonight, and if you're honest with yourself, you don't serve this God at all. The God of your life has been yourself, and you've lived the last 18, 19, 20 years trying to just make yourself happy, achieve your dreams and goals, and you've recognized that as you've tried to do this, it's not working. That no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to get it. Something seems like it's missing. Like there's a little tiny hole, maybe a really big hole in your heart, and you just can't figure out what it is. I believe that whole is God saying, that's not what you're designed to do. You're designed to follow me and let me be God. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond tonight. We do this every week at Chi Alpha. I want to give you an opportunity to switch and say, Jesus, I'm going to let you be God and I'll be me. So everyone will close your eyes and bow your head. If you're here tonight and you want to give God the opportunity to be God in your life and you want to bow in submission to him and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and receive forgiveness of your sins, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Not so people can look around. That's why everyone's eyes are closed. But as an act of submission and humility to God. I think sometimes we're too proud to even just raise our hand and say, God, I'm all in. Let's be humble tonight. So if that's you and you want to give God this place in your life, the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for being a good God. Thank you for being a humble king who came to serve. Jesus, thank you for giving us opportunity to live life with you. We love you so much. Amen. I have a second question for us tonight. If you're here tonight and this idea of meekness, when presented to you, challenges you, because if you're honest with yourself, you may struggle with some pride, I would raise my hand to this one. I challenge you to put your hands out just like this right now. Just put your hands out as an act of humble submission to God. Maybe you've never raised your hands in worship before. And when you come to Kyle, when you see people raising their hands, it makes you feel weird. I get that. It made me feel weird at first too. But the reason we do that actually is because of humility. It's us saying, like, I'm a little kid. Daddy, pick me up. We're looking at God as our father and saying, I'm humble. I'm lowly. I don't get it. It's an act of humility before God. So we're going to sing this song together. And as we do, I challenge you to worship Jesus and let him start helping you grow in meekness. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we can worship you, God. I pray for a supernatural sense of meekness to overcome Chi Alpha, God. We love you so much.